It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions. Experience more episodes, videos, and Bible study resources at ChristianQuestions.com. Today's topic is, what is the biblical process to become perfect? Part 3. The world's in really bad shape right now. It's hard to visualize any kind of happy future for anybody. Yet the Bible speaks volumes regarding how Israel as a nation will interact with the other nations of the world. So how will that work? Will it be positive? Will it be political? Let's hope not. Here's Rick, Jonathan, and Julie. Welcome, everyone. I'm Rick. I'm joined by Jonathan, my co-host for over 25 years, and Julie, a longtime CQ contributor, is also with us. Jonathan, what's our theme scripture for this episode? Isaiah 11:9. They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. God gave us the ability to understand and appreciate his plan of the ages by revealing that plan within the pages of the Bible. This plan is focused on the necessary steps to bring all of his creation, both heavenly and earthly, to an existence that will completely and forever live in harmony with one another under his mighty hand and will. In parts one and two of this series, we looked at how that shaping and revitalizing to a state of perfection takes place. It began with the Old Testament heroes of faith, continues with faithful disciples of Christ now, and will come to include an opportunity for each and every human being later. In this episode, we look at the nations of the world, beginning with Israel. What does the Bible tell us about the perfecting process of all these nations? Plenty. It is amazing how much the scriptures show us. There are many, many scriptures that show us a clear perfecting process for the nations of the world. One key factor in their perfecting is that it's always tied. It's always tied to the nation of Israel's perfecting. So let's take an overview look, and then let's get into some details. Jonathan, let's go to Psalm 98, 1 to 3. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done wonderful things. His right hand and his holy arm have gained the victory for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his loving kindness and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. So we have God's righteousness revealed in the sight of all nations and his loving kindness and faithfulness to Israel. Big picture. We're going to watch how there's some relationship between Israel and the rest of the nations. All right. Israel on one hand, the rest of the nations on the other hand, they will dovetail in the future. And you look at today and you say, uh-uh, but just watch. Just watch how this unfolds. We begin with Israel as they are, according to Scripture, an incredibly important element to the world's blessing. Their beginning was based on the extraordinary faith and actions of one man. And, and this really comes from uh, one of the uh, previous podcasts here uh, on this subject, Jonathan, Genesis 17, 1-2. And when Abram was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me, and be thou perfect, and I will make my covenant between me and thee, and will multiply thee exceedingly. Now, be thou made perfect means entire literal, figuratively, or morally. As a noun, it means integrity or truth. So you have Abram, who became Abraham, 
picked out of all of the people of the world because he had something very, very different. And he had this upward portion to his character that looked toward God and had integrity toward him. Let's jump ahead in Abram's life when he becomes Abraham to Genesis 22, 15 to 18. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, indeed I will greatly bless you, and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice." Abraham fulfilled what he was asked to do, and God rewarded him with a wonderful promise. We refer to this as the Abrahamic promise, and it was given in the book of Genesis when God promised to make a great nation through Abraham, his seed, his descendants, sand of the seashore, stars of heaven. But the promise continues, in thee and thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Now, Obviously, this last part is in the future, but again, we see that clue that all the future blessings of nations are connected with and dependent on Israel. Because all of humanity was and is sinful, its blessing from God needed to come through the high moral integrity of someone focused on and faithful to God. That man was Abraham. Abraham pictured God's willingness to sacrifice his son, Jesus. Jesus was pictured by Isaac, Abraham's son. God made known his salvation through Abraham's faithfulness. So you have the beginning. You have where the nation actually has its, its <laughs> infancy. You know, you, you've got it, literally, that's what comes with the birth of Isaac. Let's fast forward. Israel did become a nation. But just as anything else in this sinful world, that nation was not consistently obedient to God. They would eventually divide into two nations. Why? It was a serious lack of integrity and focus on God, especially by one man. Yeah, that one man was Solomon. King Solomon ruled over a united kingdom of 12 tribes of Israel as its third king. And what began with wisdom and faithfulness, following God's laws and commandments, just like his father David, it ended up in a grip of hideous idolatry. Sadly, 1 Kings 11.6 tells us Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord. For the faithfulness of his father, David, though, God allowed Solomon to finish out his rule, but with a consequence. God told Solomon his kingdom would be split in two with the majority given to his servant. And continuing in 1 Kings 11, verses 12 and 13, it reads, Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days for the sake of your father, David, but I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away all the kingdom, but I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. So from that time on, Israel's unity fractured and they would never have a king to rule over their entire nation again. You had 10 tribes of Israel in the north under the leadership of Solomon's servant, just like God said, Jeroboam, and two tribes called Judah were in the south under the leadership of Solomon's son, Rehoboam. Now the nation's capital of Jerusalem and the worship center of the temple were both in the south. And to get all the important background on this, we recommend episodes 1271 and 1272 called, Am I Throwing Away My Life's Greatest Privilege? So you have this incredible blessing. You'll be a, a blesser nation, and then it gets fragmented into two different nations. And you think, this is not a good situation. And you're right, it isn't. 
let's fast forward again. Let's keep moving through Israel's history. We started with the founding based on integrity and truth and loyalty to God, and now we're in a broken state. Israel would now exist in this broken state and go through periods of both faithfulness and rebellion, even up to the time of Jesus. Here was their promised Messiah, and yet, and yet they rejected him. This could only mean further consequences and challenges. Let's look to Jesus' words near the end of his ministry in relation to the rejection of him, Matthew 23, 37 to 39. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together, the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. For I say to you, from now on, you will not see me until, and this word until is an important word because it means there's still hope, until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And yeah, you know, that until it, you know, it says there's still hope. This is essentially a prophetic statement saying, you've got this coming. It's not like, oh man, if it would just possibly fall into place. This is until Jesus is letting them know you are cast off right here and right now. And this will last for a long time until... And we're going to get to that until in a little bit. Uh, Let's go a little bit further with this casting off of Israel in the very next chapter, the very next verses. You know, we've got Matthew 23, 37 to 39, you just read. Very next verses are Matthew 24, 1 to 2. Jesus came out from the temple and was going away when his disciples came up to point out the temple buildings to him. And he said to them, Do you not see all these things? Truly, I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another which will not be torn down. History dramatically shows us that in AD 70, the temple was destroyed and Jerusalem along with it. So no longer was there a place to offer sacrifices and the opportunity to serve the Lord according to the law was over. Jerusalem fell into ruin. The whole nation was expelled from their own land and dispersed throughout the world. So you have this incredible beginning with all of the hope and promise of the promised seed Isaac. And now you have this incredible beginning, go through all of those years and come to a point of disaster and breaking apart and scattering. The prophesied scattering of the Jewish people had now forcefully become obvious. You know, when God puts something out in terms of prophecy, it's going to happen. And most of the times we look at it and we see it unfold maybe as it's happening or after it's happening. But this was very, very, very dramatic. So we've got Israel's history as a basis to move forward to look at Israel and the nation. So Jonathan, God's plan for perfection for all levels of his creation, where are we beginning? Recapping Israel's history, from the integrity of Abraham to their establishment as a nation through Moses and deliverance, to wanting a king, to becoming severely idolatrous, to being divided into two nations, and to receiving and rejecting Messiah. Israel would now be scattered throughout the world. Yet, through all of this, God would keep his promise that they would bless all the families of the earth. So God promised they would bless all the families of the earth, but at this point, they're not even a nation anymore. (laughs) How would God keep his promise? God keeps his promise because God knows what's going to happen because he puts things in place. So God's promises are sure, even when the pieces look incredibly unsure. And that's the beauty of looking at the perfecting processes that God has put in place. So this whirlwind 
look at Israel in the light of God's promise keeping is a staggering example of the power and integrity of our God. So Israel was divided and scattered. How does this show us God's plan for perfecting them as a nation? One of the key approaches to true Bible study is understanding that God's time frame for his plan is far beyond our comprehension. We need patience and we need to carefully observe. Jesus proclaimed the desolation of Jerusalem in AD 33. It happened. Fast forward 1845 years from that proclamation of AD 33 and we see the very small beginnings of Israel being brought back to their country. Petatikva was the first Jewish settlement where Jews were again allowed to own land in their old homeland. The town Petatikva means doorway of hope. And that is taken right out of biblical prophecy because they understood that there was hope here that it hadn't been there for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Let's look at this from God's perspective. His perfecting process for Israel as a nation has begun. That's what we see. Now, it's a very slow and methodical process, and it's alluded to in many biblical prophecies. Before we look at one detailed prophecy as a basis for unfolding just how this perfecting process works, let's take a moment. Let's go back to Jesus' own words about Israel. Jesus had shown us the death of the nation, not only in his words to the Pharisees, but in, a, in picture language as well. Jesus himself prophesied in a parable that Israel would be cut off. You're referring to the parable of the fig tree in Luke 13, 6 to 9. Now, in context, Luke 12, the previous chapter, Jesus had just warned the crowd that they needed to repent, but they weren't responding to his message. Here they were being watered, so to speak, by words of truth, but they weren't bearing any fruit. And according to Isaiah 5, 7, Israel was the vineyard of the Lord of hosts. They enjoyed this privileged relationship with God who had provided the best conditions for bearing fruits of righteousness. Then Jesus tells the story of the fig tree that hadn't been producing fruit for the past three years. Here's an interesting point. That approximately corresponds to the length of Jesus's ministry up until that time. And the fig tree was given additional attention and a final chance to bear fruit. But if it didn't, it would be cut down. In other words, Israel would either repent or be removed from their unique position as God's people. God, represented as the owner of the vineyard, was willing to wait for the fruit, but righteously judged that the tree would be destroyed if it remained non-productive. Luke 13, 9. And if it bears fruit next year, fine. But if not, cut it down. So you have this proclamation by Jesus by way of parable talking about the ending of its opportunity to be that, to be that blessing. You think, wait, wait, that sounds terrible because... The Abrahamic promise didn't say that. Hang on. So biblically, we know that this fig tree is a symbol of Israel. Let's look a little further. After riding triumphantly into Jerusalem and cleansing the temple, Jesus shows us what's about to happen to Israel through his treatment of a literal fig tree. That was a parable. That was a story. Now we're going to go to an event with a literal fig tree in Matthew 21, 18 to 19. Now in the morning, when he was returning to the city, he became hungry. Seeing a lone fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it except leaves only. And he said to it, 
No longer shall there ever be any fruit from you. And at once the fig tree withered. Well, a withered tree is a dead tree. This seems to have been the only miracle in which Jesus used his power to destroy, to annihilate something. It also is the only miracle which was of no direct benefit to anyone. All other miracles were done to help someone. He cursed the fig tree, picturing Israel for its lack of fruit. It was spiritually barren, and now they'd be judged. So this proclamation, Jonathan, you previously read, behold, your house is being left to you desolate, would become a reality. Now, I wanted to stop for a moment and talk about replacement theology. This is also called supersessionism. This idea apparently started as early as 200 AD, and the belief is that God, in his anger for the part the Jews played in putting Jesus to death, revoked his covenant with Israel. They're no longer his chosen people, and they're outside of divine grace, and that somehow Christians are now his new chosen people fully replacing Israel. What do you say about that, Rick? What I say is it's a very unfortunate, absolute, utter misrepresentation of Scripture. That's what, what I say, and the Scriptures bear that out. And we're going we're gonna to quote so many Scriptures on this. If you have that belief, you have to listen to these Scriptures and say, these are very obvious. So we do see Christianity as God's chosen people, but we also see Israel as God's chosen people. Yes, there is room for both to work together, and we will see that unfold as this happens. So no, this replacement theory is just that. It is a theory and it needs to be put aside because it is unfactual according to scripture. Let's look at Ezekiel chapter 37. Ezekiel 37 begins with the prophecy of the valley of dry bones. And just like a withered tree is a dead tree, there's no life in dry bones. So this prophecy describes Israel as a nation being completely lifeless. Same object, different picture. So in this figurative picture, Ezekiel is shown how these bones, these dry, lifeless bones, come to life. They stand, they live, and they become a great multitude. So let's pick up in Ezekiel. Uh, we're going to be looking at Ezekiel 37, 11 to 28. We're going to start with 11 to 14. This prophecy is unmistakable as to its meaning, as it is basically interpreted for us. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope has perished. We are completely cut off. Let me pause here. We know that after 70 AD, when the temple was destroyed, the Jewish people were scattered throughout the world. Continuing, therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves, my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. Another point, in 1878, Jewish settlers could once again own property in Israel. Continuing, then they will know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves and caused you to come up out of your graves. My people, I will put my spirit within you and you will come to life and I will place you on your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and done it, declares the Lord. When you read, Jonathan, I have caused you to come up out of your graves, I just wanted to read that from the New Living Translation. It says, I will open your graves of exile and cause you to rise again. Then I will bring you back to the land of Israel. So we understand this language is used figuratively for the resuscitation of the dead and scattered nation and not literally for the res resurrection of deceased individuals. Right, right, right. So you look at that and you realize that we have watched this happen in these last few generations. We have seen folks 
you can't deny what we have seen happen with Israel. Now, I know a lot of people are all up in arms about what's going on, but you can't deny what has happened because it is a remarkable fulfillment of this prophecy. And now we're only at the beginning of the prophecy. There's much, much more more to come. So hang on here. We just want to take a, a slight detour, then we'll get back to it. When Jesus prophesied the signs of his return, he quietly, and it's almost unnoticeable, he quietly told us that Israel's regathering and beginning stages of favor would be one of the signs of his return. This is spoken of in Luke 21, 29 to 31. Then he told them a parable. Behold the fig tree, Israel, and all the trees, other nations. As soon as they put forth leaves, you see it and know for yourselves that summer is now near. So you also, when you see these things happening, recognize that the kingdom of God is near. And notice again the connection between Israel, here represented as a fig tree, and all the other nations here called trees. Respecting the other trees, there were about 62 sovereign nations in 1914. But according to Wikipedia, there are now 206 putting forth leaves. In other words, many sovereign nations were established. So you have this prophecy that is quietly speaking of the time of Jesus' return and all of these things happening, and look around. We have absolute, physical, unequivocal evidence of these things happening. That helps us understand where we are in the stream of time. Let's put these things in order. We've got withering trees, dying trees, being cut down, Israel, okay? And then we've got this this fig tree with leaves. Israel is cut down. Israel is restored. It's about the nation. Jonathan, God's plan for perfection of all levels of his creation, what's next? Israel's perfecting process has its small beginning in the replanting, the reestablishing of the nation. This is a long process, and it looks more like a chaotic series of events rather than a perfecting work. As with the other perfecting works in this age of sin, it is surrounded by controversy, persecution, and a need to grow into godly loyalty. What we're seeing right now is a very small beginning step of what is God's perfecting process for Israel as a nation. And you look at it and say, well, man, they are really not perfect. And you're right, because it's a small beginning step. Remember, God's time frame is much, much, much longer than ours. So let's continue. The reestablishment of Israel is clearly the first small step toward their perfecting. Remember, you can't perfect something that's not there. They had to be reestablished first so the rest of God's work could expand. That's right. So remember when we talked about Israel being that divided kingdom after the death of King Solomon, while both David and Solomon ruled over this united kingdom of these 12 tribes of Israel, during both reigns, Tribal jealousies were prevalent between the north and south, and this was especially true between Judah, the leading tribe in the south, and Ephraim, the leading tribe in the north. So let's finish up our reading in Ezekiel 37, verses 15 to 22. The word of the Lord came again to me, saying, And you, son of man, take for yourself one stick and write on it, for Judah and for the sons of Israel, his companions. Then take another stick and write on it, for Joseph and the stick of Ephraim and all the house of Israel, his companions. Joseph was the father of Ephraim, the name of that leading tribe in the north. So you've got these two sticks that are going to be, that are held in each hand. Continuing, 
Then join them for yourselves, one to another, into one stick, that they may become one in your hand. When the sons of your people speak to you, saying, Will you not declare to us what you mean by these? Say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will take the stick of Joseph, which is in the hand of Ephraim, and the tribes of Israel, his companions, and I will put them with it, with the stick of Judah, and make them one stick, and they will be one in my hand. Well, this prophecy is saying the splintering will be mended. The nations will be reunited back as one. Continuing, verse 21, Say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will take the sons of Israel from among the nations where they have gone, and I will gather them from every side and bring them into their own land. And I will make them one nation in the land and on the mountains of Israel, and one king will be king for all of them, and they will no longer be two nations and no longer be divided into two kingdoms. We went from a split nation to a dead nation with dry bones, and now one nation brought back into their original land promised by God. So this prophecy came true, and we've seen that because never in the history of humanity has a people been completely scattered to the ends of the earth to be regathered to the exact same land thousands of years later while keeping their national and religious identity strong. That's a fact. It's a miracle. That's a historical fact that you have to look at and say, okay, this happened, and it's different than anything else in the entire history of the world. What does that mean? Ezekiel 37 is describing what that means. So you have this fact that was prophesied long, 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 long before that could possibly be known. So here's what's happened. That which human sinfulness broke— God will heal. That's the, that's the message we're being shown. He had proclaimed them a blessed and unified nation. And this is what we're seeing is the beginning. It's just the introduction. We're not even introducing the introduction, if you ask me. We're, we're just getting to the, to the opening credits even. I don't know. We're, we, you know, it's just, it's just <laughs> getting started at this point. And, the, you know, the beautiful thing about this is this is not something that we, we looked at and said, hey, this is what the Scriptures say. Oh, no, the Scriptures have verified this all along. The Apostle Paul he knew of and looked forward to the restoring of Israel to godly favor. And and as we read these next scriptures, Julie, you brought up this the idea of this replacement theory. The Apostle Paul obviously was against that theory. Listen to what he says in Romans eleven twelve. Now, if their transgression is riches for the world and their failure is riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fulfillment be? And I like this in the New Living Translation. Listen to this. Now, if the Gentiles were enriched because the Jews turned down God's offer of salvation, think how much greater a blessing the world will share when the Jews finally accept it. Yeah. Now, what we want to understand is what the Jews turned down was the offer of salvation and the call to heaven. They, they turned that down as a nation, and that's why Gentiles were invited in. And this is what the apostle is saying. Their failure brings riches to the Gentiles. It brings a call that they would not have had. Because of Israel's failure, the call of discipleship to Christ went out to all the nations of the world. This shows us consequences for wrong actions and also shows us blessing for godly obedience. Let's skip a few verses. Let's go back to Romans 11, verse 15. For if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead, like the dry bones prophecy of Ezekiel 37? Yeah. You're seeing the Apostle Paul tell us unequivocally, 
Israel as a nation will be back. And he's telling us that even before they were dispersed. You got to understand, he Mm -hmm. lived, he's living before the dispersion happened, and he's already telling them about their deadness as a nation and their return. This is unequivocally about the physical nation. Soon the regathering and restoring of Israel back to full favor with God will be recognized as one of the most powerful and unequivocal proofs of God's power and plan throughout all of the world. And we are watching it right now. Yeah, but the elephant in the room among all these wonderful scriptures about Israel is that in modern day, the nation's hated. And uh, anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism are visible to a shocking degree in today's headlines. And yes, the Jewish people are restored to their homeland, but after near extermination in World War II and under constant war or threat of war from the surrounding Arab peoples, this doesn't seem like a happy ending at this point, Rick. Is prophecy out of touch with today's dire headlines? No, today's experiences are out of touch with prophecy. That's really what's happening. Prophecy is the bigger picture. What we're seeing today is a small cog in the machinery that's part of the bigger picture. And if we get stuck on the little cog, we're not seeing what the machinery is actually producing. That's where we need to go here. So let's move forward a little bit more with Romans 11. Paul sets us on a path now of prophecy as he continues describing Israel's regathering and restoration. Jonathan, let's go down further in Romans 11 to verses 25 through 27. For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved meaning recovered to favor, just as it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion and will remove ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Now, when we see the word Israel, it can mean sometimes spiritual Israel, Christians, or the physical natural nation. And one of the clues here is spiritual Israel is never referred to as Jacob. So when we read the deliverer who will remove all ungodliness from Jacob, we know it's referring to natural Israel. And that's important because Israel does have those two parts in God's plans. The the spiritual seed, stars of heaven, spiritual seed, sands of the seashore. And that's a way to understand how all of this works together. And, And the apostle is quoting from Isaiah 59 and Isaiah 27 here in Romans 11. He's looking back at Old Testament prophecy and saying, this is what's going to happen. So he's verifying what was said generations before he was alive. So Jonathan, let's put Israel's regathering in perspective, God's plan for perfection for all levels of his creation. Where are we now? Israel's perfecting process proceeds with a newly unified Israel. This helps us to comprehend that God has all of the details in place long before it's time to reveal them. This next step of Israel's perfecting teaches them that they are all one under the God of Abraham and Moses. Now, the interesting thing is we have seen Israel restored to their land, but we haven't seen Israel as a nation come to that point of of understanding that they are one under the God of Abraham and the God of Moses. We haven't seen that yet. So what that tells us is prophecy takes time. There are pieces that have to be put in place before other pieces can grow and develop. And God really, truly does have all of this in hand. Seeing the very beginning stages of all this happen before our eyes is an amazing testament to the truth of Bible prophecy. What are the further results of Israel's perfecting? 
What must they do to become the nation that God will use to bless the world? Think about what we've seen thus far. There was righteous Abraham in the seed of promise. Then there was a nation, and then it was broken. Upon their rejection of their Messiah, they were dispersed, only to be regathered generations later. Now we're seeing them being blessed. God is methodically, step by step, putting Israel into a position to fully accept his will. And the thing we need to understand here is God is much, much, much more patient than we are. And he will take small little steps and we'll sit around and twiddle our thumbs and say, well, yeah, get on with it. And he's like, no, no, I have got this all in hand because you need to understand that the steps that I put in place are going to be steps that may look tiny, but are magnificent in what they accomplish. So in this segment, we're going to really focus in on Israel's perfecting. How does that work? And in order to understand it, we're going to go back to Ezekiel 37, because interestingly, it lays out basically verse by verse how the building process of the perfecting of that nation will be. So Israel's perfecting, we start with, as one nation, they will experience a thorough spiritual cleansing. How do we know that? We read Ezekiel chapter 37. Remember, same chapter we were in before with the Valley of Dry Bones and the two sticks becoming one. Ezekiel 37, verse 23. They will no longer defile themselves with their idols or with their detestable things or with any of their transgressions, but I will deliver them from all their dwelling places in which they have sinned and will cleanse them and they will be my people and I will be their God. Rick, what do you mean by a spiritual cleansing? Okay, so we said Israel's perfecting begins with a thorough spiritual cleansing. It means that spiritually, they've got to, they have to be able to clean up their act. They have to be able to come before God in humility. They have to be able to put aside all of the other things that drew their attention away from their God, the God who delivered them from the land of Egypt way back when, and they have to prepare themselves to be his people again. And it's a very similar to the sanctifying work that Israel had to do with Moses before coming before God. Remember, with the law and all that, God said, make them wash, make them clean themselves if they're going to come before me. They were to receive their God, their, the almighty God into their lives. Same thing here, spiritual cleansing. And they will be my people, I will be their God. That doesn't sound like they're being replaced, <laughs> right? No, this no. acknowledges their idolatrous history and their sins, but now they're cleansed and reinstated into a relationship with God. I think people get confused thinking that there's only one path. But the Old Testament Jews weren't promised a heavenly reward. They were promised earthly blessings, and they'll receive those blessings in the future kingdom. Followers of Jesus are on a different path with the promise of a heavenly reward. It's not one or the other, it's both. Exactly. And so you have to understand what path you're describing. And this path in Ezekiel chapter 37 is describing that earthly path, and it runs through the nation of Israel. So we have Israel's perfecting beginning with that spiritual cleansing. Now Israel's perfecting continues because they will see and accept Jesus' rulership as their Messiah sent from God. They have to do that. Ezekiel 37, 24. My servant David, a symbol of Jesus, will be king over them, and they will have one shepherd, and they will walk in my ordinances and keep my statutes and observe them. 
So my servant David will be king over them. He will be their ruler, which means they will accept him and they will uh, be loyal to him and therefore loyal to Almighty God because that's who Jesus serves. So you've got the spiritual cleansing, this accepting of Jesus' rulership, and then Ezekiel 37, 25 brings us further in Israel's perfecting. They will permanently dwell in their God-given land under their leader, Jesus. Ezekiel 37, 25. They will live on the land that I gave to Jacob, my servant, in which your fathers lived, and they will live on it, they and their sons and their sons' sons forever. And David, my servant, will be their prince forever. Forever is a long time. <laughs> and there's Jacob, my servant. There's Jacob again. But how will David be their prince forever? Because we, we looked into this. Most Christians would agree that this text refers to Jesus. In right. Luke 18.38, Jesus is referred to by the title Son of David, meaning part of David's lineage. When he triumphantly rode into Jerusalem, the people shouted, Hosanna! to the son of David. And there's several examples where long-range prophecies referring to David are actually fulfilled by Jesus as his descendant. So he is occupying the throne of David. That's really what it's right, talking about. Right, right. And th that's where Jesus rules the nation, just as David ruled the nation back in the early, early days. So Israel's perfecting spiritual cleansing, accepting the rulership of Jesus, and then dwelling truly dwelling in their God-given land. It goes further. Israel's perfecting continues. They will be the recipients of an eternal covenant of peace from God. This is a big point, and we're going to take a, a few minutes on this. this. They will be recipients of an eternal covenant of peace from God. That's Ezekiel 37, 26 and 27. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It will be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will place them and multiply them, and I will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. My dwelling place also will be with them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. It's really hard to imagine peace within Israel that's everlasting, but God's covenants and promises don't go unfulfilled. So God knew the end from the beginning. He knew Israel would reject Messiah and yet they still will have a future role in blessing the nations, the whole world. This is important. This covenant is a sacred promise from God. And we've said it, I don't know, I don't know how many times we've said it on Christian Questions. When God makes a promise, it's as good as done. Even if it looks like it's impossible, if he promised, it will come into play. So let's focus in a little bit more on this covenant of peace, this sacred covenant, this everlasting covenant. Another prophecy that shows this covenant and Israel's further development, okay? Let's move forward, and Israel's perfecting now. We're going to look at uh, with this new covenant being written on their hearts and will guide them from within as individuals and as a nation. So we're going to break away from Ezekiel 37 just for a few minutes here and compound what it said in Ezekiel 37, 26 to 27 with Jeremiah, another prophecy, 31, verses 31 to 34. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is a covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. 
I will put my heart within them, and on their heart I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Mm -hmm. They will not teach again, each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more. Did you hear a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah? This was written at a time when the 10 northern tribes of Israel were separate from the two called Judah. So it was necessary for the prophet to mention both in order not to be misunderstood to mean the 10 tribes in the north only. But they're joined as one Israel. And that's confirmed by later verses. We're not going to read 38 and 40 that describe locations in both places as being Israel. The original tablets of the law covenant given to Moses were written on stone. The new covenant will be written within them on their hearts. Humility of heart because of their past will be a constant reminder of God's tender mercy upon them in the future. Now, see, you look at that and say, well, why didn't God write the original one on their hearts then? Yeah, yeah, why? (laughs) Well, and, and the answer is because the process has to be established that you can be given something and say, oh no, we're going to do this, because that's what they said, and they didn't. We need, that's what the whole permission of evil is about. It is the process of receiving things from without and saying, no, I got it, I got it, and then messing it all up. And that happens. Free will. Free will. Free will ends up being a free for all and a free fall. That's what it ends up being. And so we see Israel now, after all of those lessons from all of these thousands of years, having it written on their heart, they're now ready to receive it. Now, here's what happens as a result. Let's go to yet another prophecy. This other prophecy, this is going to be in Isaiah, shows the higher level of living standards for Israel as a result of this new covenant being written on their hearts. This is really a remarkable prophecy. They're all remarkable, but Isaiah 60, verses 17 to 22. Instead of bronze, I will bring gold. Instead of iron, I will bring silver. Instead of wood, bronze. And instead of stones, iron. And I will make peace your administrators and righteousness your overseers. Violence will not be heard again in your land, nor devastation or destruction within your borders. But you will call your walls salvation and your gates praise. What a beautiful promise. But this shows this dramatic upgrade. You've got stones to iron, iron to silver, bronze or copper to gold. So we have an upgrade. And all commonplace parts of life are transformed into that which is of much greater value. Continuing with verse 19. No longer will you have the sun for the light by day, nor for the brightness will the moon give you light. But you will have the Lord as an everlasting light and your God for your glory. Your sun will no longer set, nor will your moon wane, for you will have the Lord for an everlasting light, and the days of your mourning will be over. Then all your people will be righteous. They will possess the land forever. The branch of my planting, the works of my hands, that I may be glorified. The smallest one will become a clan, and the least one a mighty nation. I, the Lord, will hasten it in its time. To sum up, You will walk in the light of God forever. And there's a lot in this prophecy. You say, you know, instead of bronze, I'll bring you gold. Instead of iron, I'll bring you silver. What's happening here? Is it that your furniture is going to be made of something nicer? No. What he's saying is, I am upgrading you from a worldly, earthly existence that has me, God Almighty, in it. 
I'm going to give you a prospering and a spirituality that you have never had. Remember, it will be the law will be in their hearts. I'm going to upgrade you to spiritual privilege. Remember, Israel is the centerpiece of the world. They become the spiritual headquarters of the world, and we're really going to get into that in the next segment. Gold for bronze. You know, in Scripture, bronze is a symbol of earthly nature. Gold is a symbol of heavenly nature. He's, God is saying, I will be with you. You're not going to be run by people anymore. You're now mm-hmm. going to be guided by me. And the, the sunlight says, you know, you don't even need the sun anymore. Now, obviously, this is picture language, but you have the light of the Heavenly Father. What more could you possibly, possibly want or ask for than his light to guide you as a nation? A remarkable prophecy of Israel's perfecting. One more point on Israel's perfecting, and we're going to go back to Ezekiel 37 for this. This last point on Israel's perfecting, their regathering and blessing will be a powerful message that God is with them. Listen carefully to the very last verse of Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 28. And the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forever. Uh, The nations here are watching what happens with Israel, and they're going to see that God is leading them. And while the nations certainly have their eyes on Israel these days, this is still yet a future prophecy. It is, and it's unequivocal. You've had this whole 37th chapter of Ezekiel talking about the physical nation of Israel, getting themselves in order by God's grace and God's strength and God's guidance and God's deliverance and all of those things. And at the very end, it says, and the nations will know. That's the segue into the next piece. That's the segue into the relationship between future Israel and the future nations. So, Jonathan, God's plan for perfection for all levels of his creation, where are we now? Israel's perfecting process precedes the perfecting of the nations because the nations will need a template to follow, to comprehend how truly righteous governing and living looks. God's work with Israel through Jesus and all the faithful from this present evil world will be dramatic, positive, and undeniable proof of the path they are all to follow. You know, the all and forever of these prophecies are stated consistently throughout the Bible. This is a completeness that doesn't end. Finally, Israel will be recognized as God's chosen people for all time. God keeps his promises. He does. He does. Look at this 37th chapter of Ezekiel and tell me that this is not about Israel and this is not about a future that we can't even imagine by looking at the world today. This is bigger. This is better. This is how God's plan is unfolded on earth. Folks, that's what the Bible says. Let's not make light of these scriptural prophecies. When God chooses a people for his name, He really means it. Aren't we blessed with a God of such power, such foresight, wisdom, and love? Israel's regathering and reconciliation and blessing are dramatically marked in Scripture. Is the path of other nations also marked? (laughs) Not, not Not only is it marked, but it is usually marked in direct relation to what has already happened in Israel. Okay? The template that you mentioned before. Why? Because God is merciful and wise. Now listen, listen carefully. God knows how sinful the nations have been without him. And he will give them more than ample evidence and direction to come to his glory. 
God truly has every detail in order. He, is, he understands how far away the nations have gotten from him. And his plan puts everything in place to say, I got you. I know you're going to come back in, in the resurrection. You're going to have the same thoughts. I know how to bring you to true loyalty. Folks, I'm sure you've all heard the phrase, practice makes perfect. Almost, not quite. Practice does not make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. If you're practicing the wrong things, you'll never perfect anything except failure. If you practice the right things, that is where success comes into play. And what we are going to see as we develop this is how this perfect practice comes into play for the nations of the world. But first, let's remember that the existing governments of this world right now will not, let me say that again, will not be the governing methods being perfected in God's kingdom. They will not. How do we know? Daniel 2, 44. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. So you've got the kingdom of God crushing, destroying all of the kingdoms of the world now. And you can look at that and say, that's scary. Yeah, it is. It is. But it has a much bigger ending. So having been broken down into chaotic rubble, the nations, meaning the geographically located groups of people, will need to regroup in righteousness and seek out appropriate direction and appropriate help. But I've noticed, Rick, you haven't been talking about when this happens. Like, are these prophecies about God's future kingdom specific enough that we can pinpoint a time frame when they happen? Is it after Armageddon, while the people are all being resurrected, or after the day of judgment? When does God's permanent righteous government that replaces humanity's government, when does all this happen? Yes. And, and, and exactly what's the day? Because <laughs> I want to know. <laughs> okay. Well, here, you know, Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 37, that had its beginnings in our world today, but its endings are far beyond the world today. Daniel 2.44, we are in the process of watching the beginnings of the crushing of the kingdoms of this earth. So these things are unfolding over time. And what we need to do is be patient and realize that when we see certain things happening, we know that were to another step. What thing's happening? Well, as we go through the perfecting of the nations, it'll become obvious. And much of this, what we're going to be discussing, is post-resurrection. That's what we're getting into now. So let's take a look at the perfecting of the nations. The first thing is to they must learn what is righteously honorable. That's going to be a very primary, fundamental lesson. Let's go to Ezekiel 28, 25 to 26 for this one. Thus says the Lord God, when I gather the house of Israel from the peoples among whom they are scattered and will manifest my holiness in them in the sight of the nations, that they will live in their land, which I gave to my servant Jacob. They will live in it securely and they will build houses, plant vineyards and live securely when I execute judgments upon all who scorn them round about them. And they will know that I am the Lord, their God." Learning what is righteously honorable. Perfect practice will make perfect. And we know what we're looking for now. So we've got the gathered house of Israel, so they're no longer divided. The other nations see God's holiness in relation to Israel, and they're living securely in the physical land of Jacob. That was another one of our clues. And the obvious part, there are actual people 
alive in the land that they were promised, so they're not burning in eternal torture after they've been resurrected. That's a big point. And Julie, notice there are judgments upon all who scorn them round about them. Isn't it interesting that it's the Arab nations who are currently round about them? Many other nations also showed cruelty towards Israel. Hatred and scorn won't work anymore. Israel will be favored by God, and the nations will need to recognize this. And one of the things that's really important about that is, yes, you're absolutely positively right. But understand, Israel is very, very imperfect right now. In their responses and things you can have, you can have all kinds of criticism. I get all of that. What we're looking at is the future and saying, in the future, God will have his hand so directly upon Israel, it will become unmistakable. And we are already beginning to see just the the beginning edges of the unfolding of his judgments upon those who scorn them. You know, what, what we'll see that unfold as time goes on, and it, it'll become more and more obvious as, as, as we get further along. But learning what is righteously honorable comes when you are that child who says, your, your parent says, don't touch the stove because it's hot, and you say, it can't be that hot, and you go and touch the stove. The nations, when they, in, especially in the time of resurrection, when they are scorning Israel, they're touching the stove that God said, no, don't do that. And there will be a judgment. There will be a consequence for those kinds of things. So you've got to, the nations have to learn what's righteously honorable first. Next step for the perfecting of the nations is to see the raw power of God's might and righteousness through Israel and to the nations and realize that salvation is present for any and all who seek it, them included. Isaiah 52, 8 to 10 is is a good scripture for this. Listen, your watchmen, lift up their voices. They shout joyfully together, for they will see with their own eyes when the Lord restores Zion. Break forth, shout joyfully together, you waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm in the sight of all the nations, that all the ends of the earth may see the salvation of our God. All the nations will learn to see the salvation of our God. Perfect practice makes perfect. The Lord has bared his holy arm. The Lord has shown his strength. And, you know, we know that that strength comes through our Lord Jesus. He will be over Israel, and the nations will see the strength. And when you see such strength that is exhibited through compassion and justice and wisdom and mercy, you learn to respect it because it's not angry. It is upbuilding. It is life. It's full of life. It's full of moving forward. It's full of loyalty to the Almighty. So they will have to learn what's righteously honorable, and they will see the raw power of God's might at work, especially with Israel. The next piece for perfecting of the nations is to be humbly responding to the light of God's blessing. That's going to be their next step. We'll go to Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 to 3 for this one. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness will cover the earth, and deep darkness the peoples. But the Lord will rise upon you, and his glory will appear unto you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Nations are going to come to his light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. You see, perfect practice makes perfect. And wouldn't we say that this entire 6,000 years of human history since Adam's disobedience has been a nighttime of darkness? And Satan blinding the minds of the people is very well described as gross darkness. And the image of God's glory rising as light, it's beautiful. 
And for all these prophecies that clearly haven't come true yet, we get that sense that there will be social groupings of people in the form of nations. Kings would seem to mean the natural leaders of those nations, but we know the only true king will be Christ. Humility will be a must to honor Israel as the kingdom's leading nation, especially from those who hated her. Yeah, you're right. You know, and, and when you look at that, just pause for a moment. Think about how big the world is, and then think about how big New Jersey is, because Israel is about the size of New Jersey. And you, when, you, when you make that connection, you say, wow, it's tiny. Yes. So how does Israel have such impact? Because you have all of these groupings of people that are, are working together and learning, and they're recognizing. They're recognizing the light of God's glory. They're humbly responding to that, and they have their representation that is beginning to see it and say, wow, there's something here that's bigger than I ever thought. And that's going to bring us to the next piece perfecting of the nations once they humbly respond to the light the light because like you said julie before they've been in darkness once they respond to the light of god's blessing next is accepting god's will and way and that will be exhibited in gathering to and rallying around israel and jerusalem as the source of the world's blessings that's what the scriptures say jeremiah 3 17 to 18 And at that time, they will call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord. And all the nations will be gathered to it, to Jerusalem, for the name of the Lord. Nor will they walk any more after the stubbornness of their evil hearts. In those days, the house of Judah will walk with the house of Israel, and they will come together from the land of the north and to the land that I gave your fathers as an inheritance. So they're coming together. They're rallying around. You know what this means? It means perfect practice makes perfect. Uh, That split between the two kingdoms and now the repair with the house of Judah, house of Israel coming together. It's a really big point that's shown again and again. I was shocked at how many prophecies there are on this. Now, we're not really told the logistics of Jerusalem becoming the throne of the Lord and how all nations will gather there. I've been to Jerusalem and they definitely won't all fit. (laughs) (laughs) So is it an acceptance and willingness to acknowledge the throne of God in principle and action and mind and heart? Yeah, exactly. And when it says they will gather to it, it doesn't mean that every single person goes there. It means they they accept it. They rally to it. And, you know, you send your representatives. You you send those who are indicative of who you are to show your allegiance, your loyalty, and your honor. Kind of like the Olympics. Exactly like the Olympics. Exactly. Okay. You, you bring your best and say you represent us in this, in this honorable position. So let's go further with the perfecting of the nations. I mean, to me, this is just amazing. They learn what's righteously honorable. They see the raw power of God's might. They humbly respond to the light of God's blessing. They accept God's will and God's way. And now, now they're responding to all that they've seen by actually taking action, by intentionally seeking God's favor for themselves, not just observing it, not just honoring it, not just saying, well, this is good, but intentionally seeking God's favor for themselves by seeking God where he will be found. Where will he be found? I bet you can guess by now, in Jerusalem. Let's look at Zechariah 8, 20 to 23. Thus says the Lord of hosts, It will yet be that peoples will come, even the inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one will go to another, saying, Let us go at once to entreat the favor of the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I will also go. So many peoples and mighty nations will come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and entreat the favor of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, In those days ten men from all the nations will grasp the garment of a Jew, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. 
what you have is now we want to go with you, not representatives. Now, now there's this heart that says, where you go, I want to go. Have you ever seen little kids? You know, we have two grandchildren. Uh, one's, one's almost five and the other's three, a brother and a sister, uh, Logan and Liana. And right now, whatever Logan does, Liana just jumps in and does exactly what mm-hmm, he does. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what we're looking at here, this, this perfect practice making perfect, learning and following exactly in the lines of godliness. So as the world recognizes these miraculous things taking place in Israel, blessings are going to start to migrate out to the rest of the world. And we hope that you take a look and download this week's CQ Rewind show notes for more about all of the scriptures that we've quoted, all these beautiful prophecies. And uh, we have some special information on the skirt of the Jew that you read, Jonathan. It was really interesting. So let's move on. The perfecting of the nations. Yes, there's more. You know, they, they intentionally take action. Next is the embracing and praising the magnificence of God in his kingdom. Let's look at Psalm 67, 1 to 4. God be gracious to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us, Selah, that your way may be known on the earth, your salvation among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you will judge the peoples with uprightness and guide the nations on the earth. The the, the nation singing for joy. Perfect practice makes perfect. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. That's where that singing from joy comes. They're in a different place in compliance. Nothing but joy. The nations will have been transformed to righteousness, praising God. Praising God from the heart, not just lip service but from the heart, just like Israel will have learned to do. Last point on perfecting of the nations, they will be living in peace, righteousness, and godliness. Micah chapter 4, verses 3 to 4. And he will judge between many peoples and render decisions from mighty distant nations. Then they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation, and never again will they train for war. Each of them will sit under his vine, symbolizing Jesus and his faithful bride, and under his fig tree, Israel, with no one to make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. You see? Perfect. (laughs) See, all of that practice brought such perfection, such, such peace, such harmony, such love, such loyalty, such wisdom to all the nations of the world. Amen. And humanity will dwell in peace and safety. Can you imagine? Yes. Peace and safety under the vine. Like you said, uh, Jonathan, it's Jesus and his faithful church. We know that from other scriptures, the fig tree, Israel, all of God's highly favored, watching over all of God's favored. What a time that will be. And that's the connection between the nations of the earth and Israel. Jonathan, let's wrap this up. God's plan for perfection for all levels of his creation. Let's finish this. The nations will be tasked with learning justice, righteousness, godliness, humility, and loyalty to God. Once learned and internalized, all of these things will bring them to eternal earthly life in God's kingdom. This aspect of God's perfecting work will put the last pieces in place of his plan. God's plan for perfecting all has a glorious result. 
It does. It has a remarkable result, and it's all been pre-planned, and it's all been put in place. We are now living at a time where we can see the big, tiny, tiny, tiny beginnings, and they're very difficult, and this is in a very dark and difficult time that we live. But what comes after? Well, what comes after? Let's look at Revelation 21, verses 1 and 4. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And they lived righteously ever after. (laughs) Yeah, you had to put that in there. And it's so true. Folks, you understand that the plan of God is comprehensive. He has this perfecting process, not just for those who are called out to follow Jesus now, not just for the, those ancient ones in the Old Testament, not just for the individual people that are raised at the time of resurrection and go through the day of judgment, but for nations as well, for the nation of Israel. They'll learn his righteousness, accept Jesus as their Messiah, and then the nations of the world, they will be blessed to have the template, to have the model of God working with Israel, and to be able to look at that and say, so this is what life is supposed to be. This is the way we're supposed to run it. This is how righteousness rules. This is how there is truly peace on earth and goodwill toward men. They will see, they will acknowledge, and they will grow into the kingdom of God forever. Think about it. Folks, we love hearing from our listeners. We welcome your feedback and questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Coming up in our next episode, how do we know Jesus is the promised Messiah? That'll be a two-part series. We'll talk to you about that next week. 